Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, the co-founder of Familius Publishing, husband, father of nine, author, fly fisherman, backpacker, and aspirational musician based in the Central Valley of California. We hope to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. We are thrilled to introduce today's guest, John Slim. Now, John is a Harvard-trained educator, artist, advocate, international award-winning author. He was among the first to start piecing together the authentic and multifaceted face of Generation Z, beyond the stigmas, stereotypes, and often misguided media profiling of these dynamic young people who remain largely misunderstood and vastly underestimated. During the past several years, John's extensive and revealing work and trusted relationship with Gen Zers across the country has resulted in several thought-provoking essays for Huffington Post, Harvard Ed Magazine, and, and others, and his groundbreaking collaboration with the Andy Warhol Museum to create the Gen Z Time Capsule, which is a participatory project helping Gen Zers to further introduce themselves to the world including to their own parents, teachers, community leaders, employers, and others, while also turning them into a bona fide work of art. John is also the author of the children's picture book, The Star Jumped Over the Moon, and the upcoming What Would Gen Z Do? What You Don't Know About Gen Z, But Should. Today, we're exploring that question of, you know, what would Gen Z do? What can we learn from this magnificent and inspiring generation. The information shared aligns with the Familius habits, learn together and love together. You can learn more about the Familius 10 habits of happy families by going to the Habit Hub blog on Familius.com. Well, John, thanks for taking time out of your very busy schedule and all that you do to join us for a few minutes. Hey, Christopher, this is going to be so fun. And especially since I know you have a few Gen Zers under the roof at home uh, where you are. So uh, th this this hits close to home for you as well. So, so let's begin there. Now, if if I, I was born in 1967, so I, I missed the baby boomers by one year. So I think I'm a Gen X. Is that right? Yeah, you're an Xer with me. OK. And then we had after that, we had the millennials. And then we have the Gen Z. Is that how it works? Yes. Yes. So help me understand, you know, who is it that defines this, that decides that a certain years become a certain type of generation and what that even means? <laughs> well, that's a good question. And it's actually a question that I don't exactly have the answer to. Usually generations are about a 15 year span. So who knows who determined that or, or when it started, but that's certainly how we have all been kind of locked into the, the, the spaces that we are in terms of generations. For Generation Z, they're delineated as being born between uh, 1997 and 2012 which makes this year, 2022, I think especially uh, important and significant to this generation because the age range of Gen Zers is 10 to 25. And I think it's so rare to catch a generation when they span elementary school all the way into the first years of being in the workforce, which is really cool. So it, it's a great time to have this discussion about them. And I'm especially excited to have the book come out at this time. So, of course, I've read your book, but we're kind of speaking organically here. You talk about stereotypes in, in your bio. 
So what are some of the stereotypes that perhaps our listeners would be familiar with when we think about Gen Z? Well, you only need to turn on TV, the news, television shows, listen to the radio, and you'll start hearing a lot of these stereotypes pop up. They're, uh, they're characterized as being lazy, as whiners, as snowflakes, as uh, being detached, as often being rude, um, even uh, you know, portrayed as being imbecilic in a way. Uh, and, and all of those could, could not be further from the truth and so it's especially exciting for me, uh, you know, I, I'm their number one fan. And, and from day one, when I met them, I was their number one fan because I really recognize something incredibly special about this generation. I love debunking those stereotypes and saying this is why they are not accurate at all. So it sounds like there's a lot that we can learn from Gen Z as an older generation and I think one of the things that you say, it, 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 uh, I think it mimics Stephen R. Covey's one of his seven habits of highly effective people. I think you're asking us to listen more. Talk, talk about that. 100%. You know, my number one piece of advice uh, when it comes to Gen Z is if you want to know something, just ask them. Just ask them. And, you know, it really is as simple as that, though sometimes easier said than done. Uh, you know, one of the, the bad raps that Gen Z gets is that they seem so quiet and introspect or uh, introverted. And uh, that's when they come off as being maybe a little bit aloof or rude in social settings. But what I've learned after talking to thousands of Gen Zers now across the country is that. Uh, it's not that they don't have anything to say, but again and again, they tell me that uh, many of them have social anxiety. Uh, and they're really the first ones to, to put that term on my radar. And look, my classroom when I'm teaching is very laid back, as you can imagine, just from the few minutes we've been talking. Uh, you know, no topic is off limits. Everyone is welcome in that space. And yet I've had students say, John, even as laid back as your classroom is, we have social anxiety so badly that we won't even get up and walk across the classroom to throw something in the wastebasket because we, we have this fear of uh, someone looking at us and judging us. And uh, so I've really tried to unpack that and we can talk a little bit more about that. But getting back to your uh, original question about communicating with them and initiating that communication, what I have learned is they will not always be the first one to initiate conversation. So oftentimes we as the non-Gen Z adults have to take that first step and ask the first question, initiate that conversation. And every time I have done that, uh, it turns into some of the most fascinating, far-ranging conversations I've ever had with anyone in my life. Uh, they will then talk about anything you want them to talk about, uh, and for as long as you want to talk about it. But oftentimes, it takes you to ask that first question. Okay, so we need, so we need to be willing to engage them and then be willing to just to listen. So that's, that's great advice. Now, you, you brought up the word anxiety. And social anxiety as a term. My ten-year-old, not not she's twelve now. Sorry, she 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 said I I have anxiety about this. This homework has given me anxiety. And I said to her, she said, you know, I, I I don't know if we're framing that word right. 
So um, you bring up that this generation has brought to the forefront more mental awareness than any previous generation, perhaps. So talk about, let's just talk about this generation and anxiety and mental awareness and what we who are not Gen Z need to understand. Well, the, the mental health part of Gen Z is what initially drew me to these young people. When I first encountered them in my classroom several years ago, it was two classes of college freshmen. And I instantly recognized that there was something just a little bit different about this group. Uh, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I had never heard the term Gen Z before. I still thought we were in the land of millennials and I was a huge fan of millennials as well. Uh, and I even said to my colleagues, there's something just a little bit you know, different about these young people, but, you know, and I'll eventually figure it out. And one day I, I was talking to them about something and I, I referred to them as millennials and, and not in a bad way, just because I thought they were millennials and they were like, we're not millennials, we're Gen Z. And I'm like, whoa, like, okay, uh, you know, what does that mean? And I, I set out, uh, you know, those next four months to really learn what that meant. And initially what it meant to me when the first papers started being turned in and the first presentation started to be delivered is I recognize just how open and courageous they were, unlike any generation before them, in sharing their mental health challenges and struggles. For the first time, I heard them very courageously say aloud words like anxiety, depression, suicide, I need help. You know, when we were coming of age in the, the 70s and especially the 80s, it's not that we didn't have those issues, but we weren't allowed to talk about them. Uh, so here I had this group of young people in front of me actually saying these words aloud, and I instantly realized that by doing that, they were gifting the world with the biggest leap forward we have ever seen in mental health awareness and av advocacy. And, and so I have really continued to explore that with them, and they've really pulled me more into the realm of mental health advocacy, which I'm really grateful for. So... So that's interesting. It brings up this other question. You wrote me and said that there was a pivotal moment when a fellow Gen X friend of yours asked you, quote, if Gen Z is so open and courageous about their mental health journeys, as you say they are, then why do they have the highest suicide rate of any generation in history, unquote? And you say that question made you really stop and think. Oh, it, it stopped me right in my tracks because, you know, for several years up to that point, I had really been touting how courageous and honest they are with their mental health and how huge and important that is. And so when my best friend, it was my best friend who would always hear me talking about Gen Z and how great they are. And I think this was just a moment for him to sort of like add some perspective to that. And he asked it. It's a really great question. And I think what makes it such a great and compelling question is both parts of that question are true. Yes, they are open and courageous and will really tell you anything you want to know about their mental health or their thoughts on it. But as a generation, they do have the highest suicide rate in history. And once my friend asked me that question, 
I then started asking Gen Zers that question. Again, I went to the source rather than trying to make up answers in my head or rely on stereotypes. I went right to the source. And, you know, it's a question that I continue to ask and an answer I continue to pursue. And I don't know that there is any one answer. I, I think, you know, it, it's an answer that is multi-layered, it's complicated, it's elusive for sure. And so I think the important thing at this moment in time is that we keep asking that question. I think it's important for us to keep asking Gen Zers that question to get their perspectives, um, but also to be asking each other as, again, non-Gen Z adults, why do we think that is the case? Because it really is one of the most pressing issues of our time, for sure. No easy answer. And it looks like there's a lot more learning and understanding that we need to address. Let's shift to a different subject. So I have a, I have a 15-year-old son going on 16, and my family uh, criticizes me that if someone is not being productive, according to my opinion of productivity, that I, I get really frustrated. And, uh, and so, you know, he'll get us, he's a great student, gets his homework done. And, uh, and then he has this uh, thing called discord, which allows him to play games and chat and engage with other friends of his and, and they play a video game. And, and, uh, and, it, and for some reason, this activity drives me crazy. And, and I don't quite understand why. I mean, when I grew up, we had in television, right. It was, and we had, you know, we had those, Atari games. And I, I remember when Pong, I know we, you thought Pong right. was yeah. <laughs> your black and white television and play Pong. So you say that the gamers, the Gen Z gamers may, may soon run the world. And okay, what does that mean? And what scare you? <laughs> what, what, what do I, how do I prepare myself and how as parents do we, how do we accept or deal with this? What, what should we know? Well, and look, that is me as a non-gamer saying that, you know, I, my expertise in gaming goes as far as Pong and Pac-Man, and that's about 30, 30 years ago, 40 years ago that I, I would have played those. And in fact, I tell Gen Zers, if you want to beat someone every time, ask me to play with you because you will, you will beat me every time. But what Gen Z has taught me about gaming and gamers is this stereotype that we have had since the Pac-Man days of, uh, you know, the, the lazy kids sitting in a dark basement and maybe not a kid, maybe someone even in their 20s and 30s sitting in mom and dad's basement, just playing video games all day, letting their brain and life waste away really is not accurate. Now, it's not to say that cliche doesn't hold up out there somewhere. I think the, I think those folks are out there somewhere. But for Generation Z, uh, you know, first of all, gaming has become a bona fide sport. Uh, there's now competitions. Uh, colleges and, and high schools now have competitive teams that play against each other. But what I started to recognize as I talked to more Gen Z gamers is the skills that are being put into playing these games uh, that I think we have to start paying attention to. So when you really delve into what are the skills it takes to play these games? 
Uh, there's critical thinking skills, strategic thinking, communication skills. Think about you know, how highly visual these video games are. And so what is that teaching them about, uh, about graphics and just the visual nature of, of work? And while I, I think we have some catching up to do as employers and you know, as an academic society as well, I, I think we need to start looking at those skills. And, you know, I'm backed up here by the fact that corporations and the U.S. military are now actively recruiting gamers to come work for them because they're starting to recognize the skills that uh, it takes to play these games and to play them well. So, uh, it, Again, there's no easy answer. We're right at the, the beautiful beginning of this universe that is a little bit messy, uh, but me saying that they gamers may lead the world one day, I'd be comfortable with that. I'm not sure about you. I'm not even gonna ask you because I think at this point I know the answer, but I but I think that it's something that we need to start paying more, uh, more attention to because I think there's more to it than them just being perceived to be wasting their time. It's, it's interesting. I just interject. Um, it, it is confusing to me, but it it I have learned that there's so much to embrace about new generations and their innovation. A friend of mine, she had the same stress level about her son in games, and now his his college is paying for him because he's on one of these gaming sports. Yes. <laughs> so he's got a scholarship that, that is paying for his school because he's a gamer. And then it, the one that is most interesting to me is my faith is that uh, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as most people know with those those young men, young women who walk around with name tags, and there's about 60, 70,000 of them around the world who serve uh, voluntarily on their own expense for two years. And uh, the church is, I just heard this other week that the church is experimenting with missionaries who are spending four hours a day in different areas of the world gaming just to interact with other people around the world as a way to meet people and, and just chat about life and, and needs. I thought that is fascinating to think about. I love that. I love that. I love hearing that about the church. I love hearing that about that university. That actually gives me so much hope because it tells me that folks in all different sectors of our society are starting to take note of gamers and the potential they have. And I'll also add this, uh, you know, when I have sat down with a lot of gamers, whether they're in my classroom or somewhere out when I'm traveling, a lot of them have not even started to look at the gaming they do as having that significance. So a lot of gamers out there, when you ask them, wow, what skills does it take to, to play? And how do you think those skills could be valuable in the workforce? Sometimes they don't even have the answer because they haven't even thought of it in that way. Uh, you know, I've I've inc started encouraging Gen Zers, you know, to put a, a section on their resumes if they're active gamers, and especially if they are in competition and they're winning competitions. Uh, but just to to list out what are the skills they're gaining from from that pursuit. These are these are skills that I think a lot of employers are looking for or should be looking for and gamers have it and in a very unique way that the rest of us don't. <laughs> so let's talk about story. I'm a book publisher. I love stories. That's what, what you know, I make my whole living and, and, and publish. Everybody has a story. I think you're saying that we need to pay more attention to the ink 
that this Gen Z is using to help tell their stories through their tattoos? <laughs> Clever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You and I are both storytellers. So we are drawn to, you know, any sort of media that enables us to tell stories or enables us to let other people tell stories. And one of the things I, I learned early on from Gen Z as well is they are taking the art of the tattoo to a whole new level of sentiment and storytelling. So it's everything from having the signature of a grandparent uh, who has passed away uh, that they that they actually had the tattoo artist lift from a birthday card they might have received. It's everything from that to I had uh, one freshman who's studying to be a nurse uh, and she had been very open about her previous suicide attempts. Uh, and, and at that point, she was in a very good place. She had survived and, and she was on a good path. And one day after class, she came up and she held out her two wrists to me and she said, I want to show you something. And on each wrist, she had a white tattooed line. And she said, I had my scars from when I tried to attempt suicide. I had those scars tattooed because I, I never wanted them to fade. And they are now my story of survival to tell. And I just thought that was so powerful. I had never heard of that before. I had never seen that before. Um, so, you know, one of the things I really encourage non-Gen Z adults, I have to keep saying non-Gen Z adults because, you know, the, uh, the older Gen Zers now are adults, but I encourage folks to ask Gen Zers about their tattoos. I ask everybody about their tattoos. It's a great conversation starter uh, when you're talking to anybody. And especially for me as an artist and a storyteller, I'm really fascinated by tattoos. I don't have any tattoos myself, uh, just like I'm not a gamer, but it fascinates me. Uh, but I have to say Gen Z is, is pulling me a little closer to thinking about getting a tattoo. I don't know. How about you? Do you have any tattoos? I, I do not. I do not have any tattoos and don't plan on getting any. I, I, keep, <laughs> I, I tell my stories in different ways. <laughs> so, yeah, I have a son who has, uh, he was in the military as a combat medic and he has this big, uh, 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 reaper on his on his back and oh, um, wow. so yeah he, that, for some reason that's his story we're good okay so that's that's an interesting thing again an opportunity to listen understand and have an opportunity to to get to know this gen z and what they can teach us let's talk about education education is changing so fast yeah i, I believe that so much of education is being democratized particularly with the internet and youtube and and, and google and different <laughs> things but what needs to happen with education, in your opinion, to help us maybe catch up to how Gen Z is learning? Uh, there is one term that I just keep repeating, repeating, repeating when it comes to this question, and that is skills-based, skills-based, skills-based. The more skills-based we can make every facet of education the better, and especially for Gen Z. They want to learn skills. They want to do something. So the traditional model of lecture, homework, test, repeat, really just doesn't cut it for them anymore. And that's not to say that we have to do away with that model completely. 
I get it. There is still a place where lecture is needed, homework for sure is needed. And, you know, as much as it pains me to say, I guess, you know, tests need to be given in, in, in some places. I'm not a huge fan of tests. But I, I think that if we, as an academic culture, academic society, those of us who are in the academic world can take a look at every class we teach and transition as much of it as possible to being a skills-based model, I think that's going to better serve our students and really give them what they need. Uh, you know, a few years ago, I was asked to teach an introduction to public relations course at the university where I was at because uh, professionally, PR is in my background, and I love teaching it and talking about it. Uh, but it was a lecture, homework, and impossible test, tests that I couldn't even, as a former publicist, pass because I was handed the materials. And so I said, look, the only way I will teach this is if I can turn it into a completely skills-based course, meaning those students will walk out at the end knowing how to write a press release, knowing how to create a strategy, a marketing strategy, a social media strategy, all of that kind of stuff. And, and they let me do it, and it was greatly successful. So I really think it's a about skills-based and about continuing to look at the different learning styles and multiple intelligences that are present in our classrooms and seeing how we can adapt what we're doing to all those different learning styles. Interesting. Well, there's going to have to be a lot of change and a lot of innovation to, to help us take advantage. Well, yeah. and, and look, we're, we're at such the beginning the beginning stages of that and you know and i see a lot of promise uh especially in high school i see high schools really starting to to move in a skills-based direction e even if it's not in every course they're starting to look at especially you know the the students who maybe aren't going to go to college maybe they're going to go into a, a factory or they're going to go into something else that's going to require a building and creating with their hands and they're starting to address that i see that happening in my small hometown of saint mary's here in pennsylvania our public high school has had a really successful program like that for years. They've just transitioned that now into something called Dutch manufacturing, where the students are actually working with our local manufacturers, which is so cool. You know, last year I visited a school in Maryland Parkside High School where I was doing an art installation. They have an entire wing of their high school dedicated to skills-based learning, whether it's manufacturing, culinary, cosmetology. I'm just like, can we please copy this wing and put it in every high school in the country? It was just so cool to see. That is interesting. I love skill-based and it's, it, yeah, lectures just don't do it for you. There's there's time and place for good lectures, but boy, if you can get people involved in doing things that they're, they can really expedite their learning. Let's talk well, about, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, and I just wanted to add to this, you know, it, the thing is, if we don't deliver that as educators, Gen Zers are already turning to YouTube and other sources to teach themselves. They're teaching themselves how to play the guitar, how to build computers, how to fix cars. Um, so the days of academics sort of turning up their noses, well, if 
turn up your nose and walk out the door then because the rest of us are trying to catch up and look at places like YouTube and say, okay, how can we bring that more into our classroom to deliver what these, uh, these students want? I, I totally agree. And I, I've been fascinated to see how many people who you never would have thought would have, have turned to an element of teaching by, by videoing themselves and putting on YouTube, showing how to do something. Yes. And, <laughs> it, it's, it's, education has become democratized in many ways. Let's let's talk about pop culture for a second. So yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll be I'll, so kid, the kids will be in my car, I'm driving someplace, and and I see and, and and I'll have my music on, and I'll have my Pandora station on, and I'll be listening to my the Cure station or my flock of seagulls station, right? <laughs> and and they'll say, "Man, you got the coolest music. You got the, that's a great playlist." And I and I. I go. This is the music that I grew up with. How do you how do you even know about this music? So explain this to me. That they've and I should say in your book we we had a Gen Zer as one of our editors to ensure that 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 they really had a good <laughs> that they really worked on this way to to get their own opinion in. And then we had a, a Gen Zer actually designed the book, and she pulled all these colors from the nineteen eighties. All those, colorful, all those colorful parkas that we used to wear when we went skiing and things. And so wh where does this come from? Look, I, I think it is one of the funnest parts about Gen Z and certainly something that was really unexpected when they started telling me how much they love the 1980s and the culture of the 1980s, the movies, the music, the fashion, everything. I think the credit goes, uh, and again, I would say ask the Gen Zers around you for their responses to this, but I think a lot of the credit goes to their parents who are largely Gen Xers, which was a light bulb moment in my teaching career because I never really thought about it, but I, I would hear my students talking about their parents and, you know, they said a lot of nice things, but they also <laughs> said some not so nice things. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, their parents are my age. And that had never happened in my academic career before, but it, it suddenly helped me to better understand some of the things they were saying. So I, I really do think it's the influence of parents and the music that, you know, parents are listening to and, and just the memories that they're sharing. But I also, when I've asked this question to Gen Zers across the country, because again, I've done my research and, you know, on the ground and they've all said, we love the 1980s. They really see it as a much simpler time than what they're encountering right now, which of course, you know, always makes me chuckle a little bit because without realizing it, they're stereotyping us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and as nice of a stereotype as it is, because they're looking at us through the lens of the music and the movies and the, the, the big hair and the fashion and the neon. And I love that. You know, it, it really is a stereotype. They're, they're not seeing that, you know, we dealt with a lot of the same things that they're dealing with right now. But we just we weren't allowed to talk about those things as openly as they are. But I, I really do think uh, that what it becomes is a great bonding opportunity between those of us who are Xers and especially those of us who are teachers, those of you who are also parents and the Gen Zers in our world. It becomes a fun uh, conversa conversation starter, if you will. It, it certainly does. And you're right. They, I, I probably don't 
they don't appreciate the fact that we had 18% interest rates, that we had the Cold War, that we had, you know, I could go on and on about the, the challenges, the, the gas lines that we experienced, the farm aid, you know, we, so many, so many similar things. But yet, we. I'm glad that they like our music. And uh, well, well, in the beauty, in the beauty of that, as a conversation starter, is you can get into those other other subjects, which actually I think can only create more cohesion among the generations. Because one, you know, when I would hear my students, and again, there are so many great. Gen X parents out there like you, and I know, you know, so many of my friends are awesome Gen X parents, but I would also hear my students talk about their parents being judgmental and homophobic and closed minded and all of those sorts of things. And once I realized that the parents they were talking about were fellow Gen Xers, it was this aha moment. And I was able to sit down with these Gen Zers and say, okay, I hear what you're saying, and I think maybe this is why you're perceiving your parents in that way. It's because it's not because in the 80s there were no gay people, there were no people with depression, anxiety. We all had those challenges. But again, we were not allowed to talk about them. It was pretty much implicitly expressed us, you don't talk about this at home, you don't talk about this at school, you don't talk about this in society. And now those Gen X parents have you incredible Gen Zers who are so open in talking about it. And I'm, and I'm not so sure that the parents know exactly what to do with that. So it's not an excuse, but I'm like, you know, maybe cut them a little slack and use that as part of the conversation. And they just, when, when I express that to them, they just kind of lit up in a million different directions, like, oh, suddenly they, they understood their parents a little bit more, uh, and maybe even saw their parents as a little bit more human than they had before. That's, that's a great way to connect. There's a, there's a lot of common denominators if we, if we search for them. Okay, a couple more questions in the time that we have. You know, in every chapter in your book, it ends with two questions one for the reader and uh, to ask themselves and one for the reader to ask a Gen Zer. Why was this important to you to, to do that for every chapter? I really wanted this book to be interactive on many different levels and not only as a way for the reader to get to know Gen Zers better, but I also in that process wanted the reader to get to know themselves a little better and to really check in with themselves and to ask themselves the questions about, how do I perceive my own mental health? Am I open about it? If so, why am I open about it? If not, why not? Are there times when I've actually perpetuated stigmas and stereotypes myself because of my thinking or the things I, I was saying? Uh, so it really became a great opportunity with those two questions at the end of each chapter for the reader to check in with themselves about the topic at hand, but also then to ask a Gen Zer, because again, I, I'm all about facilitating a better communication between uh, Gen Zers and the rest of the world. And so I, I thought that those two questions really allowed that to, to happen and gave some guidance and even sort of gave permission to the reader to now engage in a, a better communication, a line of communication with themselves and with Gen Zers. Okay. So let's go, that's helpful. Now let's go back to activities. So 
you this book really in many ways is for parents for teachers for employers uh, for coaches you know people who are who on an everyday basis are are working with this wonderful generation your book includes activities uh, so it kind of goes back to the skill base that you talked about give us an example of an activity that you think is helpful for us to engage in with gen z and why <laughs> So the activity section at the the back, that's me being a teacher, you know, I, and, and I love activities. And like you said, skills-based. So I really wanted to include, there are 16 activities. I wanted to include them as just one more way for that interaction to happen for folks to get to know each other better. So one of them is a time capsule activity. And this is an activity I did with my students and eventually that grew into the Gen Z time capsule project that I'm now doing with the Andy Warhol Museum. And basically what that is, is you, you know, give the Gen Zers uh, in your class or in your family, in your case, you have several under your roof, so you could do this with a couple of them. Give them a large manila envelope, pick a time frame, one month, four months, however long you want. Uh, tell them to put that envelope up somewhere. That's their time capsule. And just every day, just start popping things in without even really thinking too much about it. Just start putting things in. It could be candy wrappers, report cards, notes, uh, video games, whatever it is that's kind of important to them at that moment in time. And then, you know, after, you know, a month or so, you sit down with them and you go through that time capsule and you talk to them, you have fun with it. You talk to them, why, what, why is this candy wrapper? Is that your favorite candy? Oh, is this your favorite, you know, video game? Whatever is in there, you can have a really fun discussion with them. And I would actually encourage, uh, you know, the non-Gen Z adults in the room, do it as well. You know, take your own uh, envelope, put it up, fill it up, and then go through it, you know, with the Gen Zers and have a little fun with that. You know, another activity that's I have found really poignant is the writing a letter to to your five-year-old self. You ask them to write a letter to their five-year-old self, uh, telling that five-year-old what the journey ahead of them is going to look like. And I'll tell you what, I, when I've done this with Gen Zers, I don't even get through one letter without tears uh, because of the compassion and the care that they write these letters to themselves in sharing oftentimes some really difficult things is just so incredible and so powerful. Uh, so it's activities like that that are fun. It gives them a chance to reflect. It gives you a chance to get to know them better. And it, it's all about, at the end of the day, having fun and connection. I, I love it. I love those ideas. You know, I, I, I teach a group of adults um, and one of the activities I had them do is, is take a crayon, put it in their left hand and draw a picture of a, of a particularly important moment of their youth. Oh, I love that. And, and they had to, so they had to do their least dominant hand and then they had to share that. Then they had to share their picture with them with us and uh, it was profound what people would come up with in in these poignant moments of their youth and why they were so important so thanks for coming up coming up helping us with activities that we can work with our with those that we our kids that we're raising all right well john it's been so wonderful to talk with you today as always you're a cool guy and we're grateful for the work that you do in the world now where can our guests find you online 
folks can connect with me on my website, which is johnschlim.com, J-O-H-N-S-C-H-L-I-M-M.com. And all of my social media links are there as well. And I, I love connecting with folks out there, uh, both Gen Zers and non-Gen Zers. I love hearing from everybody. Great. Thank you. Well, as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius for the support of bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you chose a book from Familius. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. 